0: bring this down here for the little guys. Have you ever noticed how the music gets louder for the last verse, so that dummies like me know I'm on? Good morning. Our reading this morning is going to come from the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. Uh, We're going to be reading chapter 1, verse 1 through 14. But first, let's have a moment of prayer. Dearest Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to partake of these lessons with you and with our friends. Help us learn today what we may take into our week of chores and work and familyhood uh, and bear with us as we go through those times. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and who are faithful in Jesus Christ, As a plan for the fullness of time and to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ may also be to the glory, to the praise of His glory. In Him you also when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Bless God's word.
1: Putin made a big mistake. He didn't know these people. Once a man tastes freedom, he won't let anyone take it from him. This appeared in an article in The Atlantic about the ongoing war in Ukraine. And in this article, it gives a vivid picture of what's happening there. This reporter who who traveled over there where he had been before, and he begins talking to people on the ground, like Olesia, who says, Democracy a new nation, survival, all together. This is a sacred war. It's everything good against pure evil. And Ukraine would win, she assured me, relentlessly optimistic. If you were to read this article and take the time to go through it, you'll find other things like this as he begins to paint a very vivid picture of what's happening there on the ground and how the people of Ukraine are viewing this situation And in this article, and in fact uh, in the news, uh, in culture, in everywhere but Russia, it becomes very clear. Russia is the villain and the people of Ukraine are the heroes. Every good story has a hero. Just like this, just like this, every good story has a hero. If it doesn't, There's really no point in reading it and it's going to melt away into the background noise of history. The best stories have a hero. And if you were to go back into ancient Ephesus and you were to be there in that time and you were to to, to be on the ground and talk to the people and see what's going on and, and talk with them like this man did in Ukraine, it would become very, very clear that in Ephesus, the goddess Artemis is the hero. Two uh, scholars put it this way, N.T. Wright and Michael Bird. They said Ephesus had temples to Zeus and Apollos, to the goddess Roma, and to the emperor Augustus, but larger than all and four times larger than the Athenian Parthenon, the famous temple to Artemis was situated on the northeastern edge of the city one of the wonders of the ancient world, an icon of Ephesus in the same way that London is known by Big Ben and Sydney by its opera house. Artemis was acclaimed as queen of heaven and venerated by adherents as lady and savior. She was associated with protection from evil spirits, illness, and misfortune. The Artemisian was a place of banking, sacrifice and asylum. Twice a week, a procession of devotees took place through the city. The image of the goddess adorned local coins. A month of the year was named after her. Games were held in her honor and she was revered as the divine guardian and benefactor of the city. Are you getting the point? A measure, and this is incredible, a measure of the importance of Artemis and her shrine was that a sanctuary dedicated to Emperor Augustus was located within its precincts. The emperor is under Artemis' care. This was not simply about what the modern world calls religion. Artemis, clearly, clearly in Ephesus, Artemis is the hero. She is the hero of the economy. She is the hero of religion. She is the hero of the culture. She is the hero even of the emperor If you are within that city, Artemis is Savior, Artemis is Lord, her story controls the narrative for the city and everyone in it, even the emperor's importance, is subjective to hers. Now we know that the people took this very, very seriously. We actually read about it in Acts 19. In Acts 19, we read about what happened when Paul first comes to the city with the message of the gospel, and it says this. It says, about that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way, which is what Christianity was called at the time. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with workmen in similar trades and said, men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul, who's writing this letter, has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that God's made with hands are not God's. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may become come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. Are you getting the picture? Are you getting the picture of how highly they hold Artemis? That Artemis is the hero here. In fact, if you were to continue reading in Acts, what you would find is that after this, he stirs the people up, and there is a riot that moves Paul and the others, and it moves some of the people into the temple of Artemis. And for two hours, the crowd is yelling out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. They took this very, very seriously. That Artemis was the hero of Ephesus. Artemis is the hero of the world. And to the church in that city, Paul writes these words that Alan read for us. Paul is writing about who is the real hero of the story. Paul is, is writing, and, and it counters everything that they're hearing, everything that they're getting, everything that they are living in this place. And Paul does not write about their pastor and say, Church in Ephesus, Timothy is the hero of your story. No. Paul does not write and say, Church in Ephesus, you are the hero. Of Ephesus. He doesn't even say that the community is the hero of Ephesus. What comes out clearly in these first 14 verses, which actually three through 14 is one sentence, one big run-on sentence in Paul's writing. And what comes out clearly here is that the triune God is the hero of Ephesus. The triune God is the hero of his people. The triune God is the hero of history and all creation. That is what we see as we read through this as a whole. Now, if you have trouble with this idea of the Trinity, of God is three in one, and one in three, and, and there's this mystery and all that kind of thing, there is no good analogy that we can use to really describe that. People have tried, and when they try, they usually end up in some heresy or another. Um, but what we can say, probably the, the best thing we can say to look at this is what C.S. Lewis did As he said, imagine you have a two-dimensional world, and everything in the world is two-dimensional. And then into that world comes a three-dimensional being. How can those two-dimensional people possibly comprehend? It's kind of like that. Or it's like, go try and explain yourself to an ant and see if the ant can get it. And understand who you are. So it's not something that we can completely wrap our minds around. But we can at least wrap our mind around the fact that we can't wrap our mind around the Trinity. However, what we see here and all throughout Scripture is, is implied. It is, it is there is this idea that God is three in one. And each aspect of God, God is, is acting as Father as Son, as Holy Spirit. He is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there is a fullness of the Godhead in each aspect. But what we see is that certain times, one will take the forefront. And we see that here. God the Father. God the Father, in verse 1, provided the apostles as a foundation to the church. Verse 2, He gives grace and peace. Verse 3, He blesses His people in Christ. Verse 4, He chose His people before the foundation of the world. Verse 5, He predestined His sons and daughters for adoption. Verse 6, God the Father blesses His people with His glorious grace. Verse 7, He offers redemption and forgiveness. Verse 9, He makes known His plan and purpose. Verse 10, He will unite heaven and earth. What is happening? What is going on with God the Father? Well, you could think about it a little bit like this way. Uh, It's like Coach McGuire. Yes, I'm using that coach in a positive illustration, even after the weekend. What is his job? What does he do? He's going, he's recruiting players, He's planning offense. He's planning defense. He's planning special teams. He's making decisions about which plan they're going to use at the game. He's making decisions about how this plan is going to happen. In other words, he is there and he is planning out everything. And if you watched the game yesterday, you see that it paid off in their win against Texas. By the way, you guys are up to 16 wins. UT has 52 so in about 32, 36 years, you guys could be caught up. God the Father is like the coach making the plan, putting this all together. God the Father, He, he, he is planning. He, he, is, he is working. He is settling these things out. And then, then we see highlighted in this passage, God the Son God the Son. He is the Lord of the Apostles, in verse 1. And his faithfulness keeps his own faithful. He gives grace and peace, also, verse 2. In him we have every spiritual blessing, verse 3. In him the Father has chosen us, verse 4. Through him we are adopted as sons and daughters, verse 5. In him and through what he did, we have redemption and forgiveness, verse 7. In Him, the Father accomplishes His purpose, verse 9. In Him, the Father will unite heaven and earth, verse 10. In Him, we have an inheritance, which is the fruit of His work and not the fruit of our own. That's verse 11. He is the object of our hope, verse 12. In him is the true word that saves, verse 13. And he is the object of our belief and our faith, verse 13. So if you go back to this, this football analogy and you go back to the coach, here is the coach coming up with this to plan, this devising the plan, making choices about how the plan will go. But someone has to accomplish it. The coach doesn't hold up his card or talk into the microphone and then run out there onto the field and pick up the football. What what he does is he is making this plan and then he's saying to his team, now go do it. Get it done. Accomplish this plan. Follow this plan. Do what the plan is. Go out there and win the game. And that's what Jesus does. Jesus, as we read through this, we see Jesus accomplishes the Father's plan. He lives a righteous life. He rescues those that the Father has given to Him. And through His death, He brings many sons and daughters to glory. Jesus is out there accomplishing the Father's plan. Well, then we see God, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit often takes a a, a background role, often takes a very quiet role when we look at at how the, the, the members of the Trinity function. But... We read this in verse 13, that in Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. And Nate talked about this last week, and he did a great job explaining that. But what the Holy Spirit is doing is He is sealing our salvation in verse 13. You are stamped with the Holy Spirit. It, it is pressed into the clay of your heart. And He guarantees our salvation. Verse 14, God's promise is written on you with the Holy Spirit. He has written the guarantee into your soul that what the Son accomplished is applied to all those who believe in Christ. And this is where the analogy breaks down a little bit, but we're going to go with it anyway. You could think of the Holy Spirit something like the referee. The referee where, where as, as the plan is accomplished and as the things are done, he's there to say, touchdown. It's good. You win the game. The, this, the, the benefit of what you have done is applied to your team. It's valid. It's good. It will stand. The Holy Spirit is doing this for you. Applying the work of the Son that was planned by the Father to those who belong to the Father. And all of this benefits us, all of this benefits us, but it's all about Him. Do you know what you call the one who is doing all of the action? Do you know what you call the one who is the main focus of the story? Do you know what you call them? The dictionary says you call them a hero. The principal character in a literary or dramatic work, the central figure in an event, period, or movement. God is the hero of this story. And what it says three times through here, verse 6, verse 12, verse 14, is that all of these things are happening to the praise of God's glorious grace. God is the hero of this story, and God is the hero of your story, not you not me he rescues us that doesn't make us the hero it makes us the object of rescue and now here is the thing when we are confronted with that we know that deep down deep down there is something inside of us that does not like that we want to be the hero of our own story We want to be the hero. Culture and everything in uh, in the the things that are inside of us, they're saying, Look, it's all about you. Your life is all about you. Your choices are all about you. Everything that's going on is all about you. There was even a nonprofit that that I, I saw their fundraising, and it was saying, Be the hero. Come be the hero of this cause. If you give this, if you give that, if you get, you can be the hero. You are not the hero. I am not the hero. And that bothers us because if I'm not the hero, someone else's story takes precedent over mine. And that counters everything that we hear in a Western culture. Someone else's story takes precedent over mine. It takes precedent over my business, my relationships, my free time, my hobbies, my ethics. Someone else's story impacts Every decision that I make. But this is nothing new. This is nothing new. It's the same thing that was happening in Ephesus. What did we see about Artemis? If you are a sculptor, you make idols. If you are a butcher, you, get, you prepare meat for sacrifice. If you want to do something in the religious field, guess what? You're going to go work at the temple. If you're an economist, if you're a tax collector, whatever it is, you are doing it in relation to Artemis. Her story is controlling you and what you do. Her story is overriding yours. It is more important. And we don't like that. And so we hold things back and we say, God, you can be the hero of my ethics, but not my finances. You can be the hero of my Sunday, but not Monday through Saturday. God, you can be the hero of my job, but not my hobbies. Why? I want to reserve the right to keep part of my life out of God's story. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying very clearly, The triune God is the hero of your story, and his story is the story that shapes everything that you are and everything that you do. And as we come to understand the gospel, and as we come to understand what what is being said here, we actually begin to want that. Because we begin to realize we're not the coach, we're not the players. We're not the referee. We're the fans. Everything that we do becomes about pointing to how great God is and to pointing everyone and everything to the praise of His glorious grace. Because all of history, all of life is about Jesus. And it should point to Him. You can try as hard as you want to. You can try as hard as you want to. You cannot make history about you. You can't do it. People have tried. You can't do it. But what you can do is is you can recognize that this is God's story. God is the hero of this story. And we can begin to let his story become ours. We can begin to participate in his story. We can begin to look to him to see what is he doing? What is he trying to accomplish How is he at work? I want to be a part of that story. And when we do that, and we let God's story become ours, we begin to join ourselves into what he's doing. It becomes an incredible comfort. And we can only look at this briefly, but it becomes a comfort because if God is the hero, three things. The best days of your life are because of him. The worst days of your life will work for him. And every day of your life can make a difference. Here's what I mean. The best days of your life are because of him. What I mean is every blessing that you have, every good thing that you experience is from him. We're familiar with this concept, really. Um, we, we talk about it um, on Memorial Day. We talk about it Fourth of July. We talk about it Veterans Day, about the freedom that we experience in this country. It came from someone else. That blessing, that benefit came from someone else. In fact, even the vets didn't fight alone. They fought side by side depending on the others around them. Their victories came from, them, from others. Likewise, what, what is said in James is that we experience these blessings from God. The good things we enjoy, every good gift is from God. Our best days come from God. The other thing is that our worst days can work for him. And very simply, let me just put it this way. If God can make the worst day that anyone has ever experienced in history, the only truly innocent man nailed to a cross to suffer for the sin of the world, if God can take the worst day in human history and turn it into the greatest good that humanity has ever known, he can take your worst days. And He can weave them into His plan to make all things new. It doesn't mean it isn't painful. It doesn't mean it isn't hard. It means God is at work, even in your worst days, just as He is in your best days. And you will never experience anything worse than Jesus. And everything you experience, you don't experience it alone. The Lord is with you. The last thing is this. The last comfort is this. Every Day can make a difference you can live for something that will change things, every day can make a difference uh, early in the 1900's there was a scientist named David Cowie and, and very quickly he through a, a long process he figured out hey if we put iodine in people's salt then people will stop getting goiters, you know those big old things on the neck used to be a big problem He figured this out. And now, guess what? You don't have a bunch of people in Michigan and Switzerland and stuff walking around with these big goiters. Because this man figured out, put the iodine in the salt. But here's what's important about this. You probably didn't know his name until I said it. And when I said it, you didn't recognize him for who he is. Listen, you can devote yourself to a cause, to a company, to politics, or nothing. And someday, you will be forgotten. You will be forgotten and... You might work really, really, really hard for something, and guess what? It only takes someone else's one bad decision to undo all of that. But if you want to make a difference, you can invest your life in something eternal, and this is how you do it every day. And this is a dangerous prayer. But every day, you wake up and you ask yourself, Who am I going to serve? And you ask God, God, how do you want to use me as part of your story today? That's the question for us. Who is the hero of your story? What story does each area of your life tell about Jesus? Let God's story become yours. And together, let's live to the praise of his glorious Grace in Christ. Let's pray. God, you are working out a story through history the likes of which we can't know the full extent of. Lord, but someday these things will become clear to us. Father, would you show us how you are using us in your story? Father, would you teach us more about who you are and your great love for us. Lord, would you help us to be grateful for the great benefit we receive from being a part of your story. Father, we thank you that all of these things, all of these blessings come to us in Christ and not from our own works. God, you are good and we love you and we praise you. Amen.